Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm sure has some talking to do with his Tennessee Titans. How you doing today, Ethan? Uh, I'm okay. I'm not gonna say I'm good. I'm not gonna say I'm bad. You know, my my Memphis Tigers was, but the Titans they lost in a in a heartbreaking fashion. Then to see. Essentially, every game when it field goal that was made was longer than the one that we missed. So, yeah, I'm in a, I'm on these bad right now. I feel you on that. I mean, totally can understand. I saw a stat just like a couple of hours ago that was saying like 14 kicks were missed during on Sunday, which is a ridiculous <laughs> number. But I think the blessing of football is it's a very long season. It's just week one. Championships are not won during week one, and also Super Bowls are not lost in week one. So everybody's got time to improve. Everybody's got time to be worse, but it's a long year ahead. So I'm sure your Titans are going to be fine, and we're going to keep trudging along. But speaking of trudging along, we are going to give our top five takeaways as well as most impressive and disappointing players from the first slate of week one action. Unfortunately, we are recording this on a Monday, so anything that takes place in the Seahawks-Broncos game, we will have to talk about in next week's episode, which is just going to be as great as this one. Um, also, looking at the NBA, we are going to talk the top five worst NBA 2K ratings because, unfortunately, there's always bad ratings. And we are going to discuss if Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert really are a generational pair but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the export.net i repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the export so let's go ahead kick things off with our college football player spotlight let's be honest last week everyone was so hyped up about texas and um Alabama's game and rightfully so it was a terrific game however there were some other noteworthy games that took place later that evening unfortunately one of them was not USC versus Stanford which ended up being a blowout 41 to 28 however for draft fans it was a great showing between USC quarterback Caleb Williams and his star wide receiver Jordan Addison who had seven catches for 172 yards and two touchdowns he won the Belitnikoff Award last season as a member of the Pittsburgh Panthers. And so now it's looking like Addison is even better. Ethan, I know you know that every team could always use a better wide receiver. Where do you think Addison would be a great fit? Um, being honest, I'm going to say the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason I say that is because... I understand that they still have the hop. I understand that they have a young, up-and-coming wide receiver in um, Rondell Moore. I also understand that they just um, signed Hollywood Brown this offseason. But I think the case of it for me is how long is DeAndre Hopkins going to be still a, I'm not going to say a top wide receiver. Yes, long is a wide receiver in the NFL. We know that he's getting a little long in the tooth. Then you just never know. It could be a situation to where within a year or two, you could potentially hear that he's retiring. Um, I also know that you do, we do have those wide receivers that are long in their years, but I just think if he's a way to possibly carry Kyler Mary 
while he's still young with maybe a guy that could potentially be his number one wide receiver of the future. I like that just sounds appealing to me. I don't know. I might it might just be like a a magic thing for me, but that just sounds appealing. I mean, I think that that would be a lethal duo. I think that we're seeing more and more in the NFL that you can never have too much talent. And so if you put a wide receiver like that on the Cardinals and with the receivers that you already mentioned, I mean, that could be pretty dangerous. I'm going to go to the North, more specifically NFC North and the Green Bay Packers. I know that there are so many other teams in the league that need wide receivers, but I don't think any team was more bombasted with critiques of their offensive performance than the Packers. I mean, for those of you who watched the game, you saw they, of course, because Devontae Adams and the Raiders were playing at the same time, they would have side-by-side comparisons as to how many yards Devontae Adams had and the Packers wide receivers had. And unfortunately, the Packers wide receiver for much of that game lost. Um, Just kind of overall looking at their performance, I mean, Christian Watson had a big drop um, on the first offensive play of the game, which I think cost them a lot. Romeo Dobbs are kind of inconsistent. I mean, overall, the Packers wide receiver core needs a lot of work. And I think if you get a guy like Jordan Addison, who is a really good route runner, who does have good hands and has that big play ability, I think that that is going to be a blessing for whoever the Packers quarterback is because in truth I'm still pretty sure Aaron Rodgers is going to retire after this season but all right let's go ahead and take a look at week one starting with Thursday night football the Buffalo Bills win the league opener 31 to 10 over the Los Angeles Rams Philadelphia survives a dogfight against the Detroit Lions 38 to 35 the Colts and Texans tie at 20 the Cleveland Browns spoil Baker Mayfield's revenge game, winning 26-24. to The Chicago Bears upset the San Francisco 49ers 19-10. The Washington Commanders come back late to defeat the Jags 28-22. Miami Dolphins defeat the Patriots 20-7. The Steelers win a crazy one against the Bengals 23-20. My Ravens beat the Jets 24-9. New Orleans Saints come back to beat beat the Atlanta Falcons 27 to 26. Kansas City Chiefs offense runs wild on the Cardinals winning 20 44 to 21. The New York Giants become use gusty play calling to defeat the Titans 21 to 20. Vikings more well more specifically Justin Jefferson goes crazy on the Packers helping to lead them to the 23 to 7 victory. Chargers beat the Raiders 24 to 19 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Cowboys 19 to 3. And as I mentioned uh, Monday Night Football, we record on Monday, so we'll look at the Broncos and Seahawks game next week. Uh, but looking at the overall records, I went 7-8. and eight. Ethan, you won the week with an 8-7 record that Patriots-Dolphins uh, game uh, did it in for. So, all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the biggest injuries of the week. My Ravens got hit with a two-for-one, losing Jawan James, offensive tackle and cornerback Kyle Fuller, both to torn ACLs. 49ers lose starting running back Elijah Mitchell for the next two months with a sprained MCL. Bucks lose wide receiver Chris Godwin for the next couple of weeks after he suffers a hamstring strain. A big loss for the Steelers. TJ Watt could possibly be out of the out for the season with the torn pec. If he ends up not having to have surgery on that pec, he may be able to come back within the next six weeks. And arguably the most talked about injury of them all, quarterback Dak Prescott will be out for the next six to eight weeks after requiring thumb surgery on his throwing hand. 
even I'm sure you watched that game. You saw how ineffective the offense was, even when Dak Prescott was on the field. But just imagine how much worse it's going to be without him. So in your opinion, do you think that they should try to trade for a quarterback? Maybe a Tyler Huntley out of Baltimore. Maybe even Jimmy G out of 49ers. What do you think Dallas should do at the position? I mean, I think the reality is, is if they make that trade, in the case, I would look at it from the case of if they make the trade for Jimmy G, if they make the trade for Jimmy G and that press guy comes back, is Jimmy G going to be comfortable with being a backup in Dallas? I, and the reason I say on a day pretense is because, yes, he's the backup for the 49ers right now. And yes, the 49ers have said, like, they're, they're giving the reins to Trey Lance. But Trey Lance and Dak Prescott are two different quarterbacks. Trey Lance is a young quarterback with a lot of upside that could potentially become a star, but he's not a proven commodity. So the chances are better for him to potentially get, like, a starting position on that team. Um... Maybe even earning his starting position for the future with another team. In Dallas, it's hard because he doesn't have, he won't have a great offensive line. Um, his running backs are really serviceable, but you only have one wide receiver. And that was, I think that was the biggest case of the Cowboys. It's like, you know, they only had C.D. Lamb. He had a couple moments, but because he had so much attention on him, he couldn't get open. But from the Cowboys standpoint, it can make it's a Jerry, I feel like that's a Jerry Jones move of being like, oh, we're just gonna trade for like the biggest name that's been in talks of trade talks. So, uh yeah. I could see him doing it. Um I think it'll make a lot of sense, especially because I know that everybody you and I included really think that the Eagles are the favorite for this division and rightfully so they look they look great so far um well the offseason moves look great last week they didn't look amazing anyway but um I do think that the Cowboys still if you look at the commanders and you look at the Giants it's still a winnable division um and I think that because of that I think that they still have a shot I still think even with the offense that they have now give or take a few weeks they'll be getting back um Michael Gallup. Uh, really, there was receiver for them who suffered a torn Achilles last year. They'll be getting back uh, more offensive line guys, hopefully, um, such as Connor McGovern, who was hurt earlier in the game. Like, I think that, not to say I think that they're going to be amazing, but I do think that they have a chance to be better than what we have seen. And also, their defense, not going to sit here and say I think they're a top 10 unit, but I think that they can do enough to keep them in games. I mean, for most of the game, the Buccaneers were unable to get into the end zone. They may have gotten deep in the scoring position but they had to rely on field goals I think that if they had a quarterback who was serviceable enough that could help them beat certain teams like a commanders like a Giants teams like that so I think that they could do it and kind of referring to the Jimmy G standpoint of it I mean what better way than to show other teams that you're that guy than to win in Dallas I mean Unfortunately for non-Cowboys fans, the Cowboys are always going to get a lot of primetime action. I believe in the next few weeks they have a primetime game with the Eagles Sunday night football. We have the Monday night football game against the Giants, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to get a lot of attention. Everybody's eyes are going to be on them. And so if Jimmy G does make his way there and is able to have a big impact, I think that this could really help revitalize his career and show that he deserves to be a starting quarterback 
in the NFL. But time will tell. But all right, let's go ahead and give our top five takeaways from the first slate of games. You want to start us off? You want me to start us off? How you want to do it? We can alternate. All right. So, but- uh, yeah, if you want to start, it's fine. All right, cool. Well, uh, my number five takeaway actually has everything to do with the Cowboys in the sense of even with Dak out, the Cowboys were going to be in trouble this year. I know it kind of seems like I'm contradicting what I just said about Jimmy G, but facts are facts. Our offensive line looked depleted even before the injury to Tyra Smith. Now it looks even worse. Their wide receiver core, as you mentioned, CeeDee Lamb was getting honed in on a lot by defenses and if defense, if he's not able to find strategies to get open or there's nobody else to help him out, I think that this offense is going to be forced to rely on its run game and right now there's still so many questions about what Z can do. I love Tony Pollard but he's not the best blocker so unfortunately it's not like he's going to see too much playing time because he's not going to have the ability to protect the quarterback back there. So if I'm a Cowboys fan, I am I'm not loving what I'm seeing so far. Um so you talked about the Cowboys. My my number 5 is I'm flipping into the Buccaneers. Um with all the talks around Tom Brady in this offseason where he took that he took their leave of absence for 11 days and like all the talks around like what are they going to look like I mean the reality of it is, is Ty Bowles is taking their team with with superior talent and morphed their team to the type of team that he likes like they were getting huge gashes for running plays and Leonard Flanette in the offseason, people talked about him picking up weight. He looked in shape. Yeah. yeah, after a lot of those after a lot of those big runs, he had to come out of the game, but he looked as fast and as powerful as he ever has. And their defense, especially with Hakeem Hicks and Vita Vale in the middle and those two great linebackers and Antoine Whitfield Jr. in the back in the backfield, like their defense is gonna be deadly. And I think the reality of it is, if Tom Brady isn't because of age or because of other factors, if he isn't playing to the standard that people have been used to seeing him play for his whole career, he can rely on their run game and their defense to win games. And he could just play hero at any given moment. I mean, it's kind of, that kind of was the formula for him in New England for a portion of his career anyway. Right. So there's nothing new to him. You ain't wrong about that. All right, number four, Arizona's lack of defensive stars will continue to hurt them. You and I talked about it last week when you were saying it was a tough game uh, to pick between the Chiefs and the Cardinals, and for me it wasn't that touch, tough in large part because of their defense, mainly because they couldn't get any pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and then even if they did get pressure, it seemed like MVS, Juju, Miko Hartman were finding ways to get open early and often. I mean, I understand Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, but allowing a quarterback to throw five touchdowns on you, that's always going to be a bad look. And unfortunately, even when J.J. Watt gets back, I don't think that the defense of the Cardinals is going to be enough to really keep them in games. It's pretty much going to have to be they get in shootouts every week or they're going to get blown out. It's very little in between for me right now. Uh, my next top five takeaways. I mean, yeah, my number four is with all the hype surrounding the coach from the aspect of they bring in they bring in Matt Ryan. He's going to be such a, a drastic improvement over Carson Wentz. For them to tie with the Houston Texans like that, that's unacceptable. And 
I think it was a, a inspirational effort from the Texans, but it's like, how can you have a game where Jonathan Taylor, uh, where Jonathan Taylor went crazy and Matt Ryan, like, he he had like, I think he had like 352 passing yards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can have those two parents, but you can't come up with a victory. It's like a cause for concern, especially when you're a team that is projected to maybe win your division. Like that's a that's something that later in the year, when you get to week um sixteen and seventeen, that might be something that causes you from sneaking into the playoffs. Yeah, um I'm looking at the stats right now and I think this is pretty telling. Um Matt Ryan ended up three hundred and fifty two yards. That's respectable. However, leading receiver was Michael Pittman who had 121 yards. Can you guess who the next leading receiver was? You said it was Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman led with 121. Who do you think was the next leading receiver? Jonathan Taylor. Nope. It was... Uh, I'll give you another guess. I don't know, because I don't know their receivers like that. Was it, um, what's the tight end's name, Cox? He was he was uh, third to last. He had 26 yards. It ended up being running back Naheem Hines who had 50 yards. The highest, after you take away Michael Pittman, the next highest yards for a wide receiver was um, Ashton Dolan who had 46. I think that pretty much tells you the story of that receiving core. Cause, and before I go to my takeaway, I'll just say this. I don't see much of a difference between what we got from Carson Wentz last year to what we got from Matt Ryan week one. That could change, but so far, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen much of a difference. But yeah, I, but yeah so moving on to number three, we'll talk about a difference maker, though, Von Miller, who I have to say may be what the Bills needed. Um, I think you look at having a guy like Von Miller, his presence alone forced the offensive line to change its game plan and opened up a lot of other things for other defensive ends, like a A.J. Epinesa, who prior to this game was a very small factor. Boogie Basham had a sack. Jordan Phillips, I believe, had a sack and a half. Greg Rousseau had a, had a sack. I think he might have had two. So needless to say, because of Von Miller, it really helped open things up for a Bills pass rush that left much to be desired a year ago. Now, you and I both talked about it. We both feel like the run game needs to step up, and I still stand on that. But in terms of their defense, they're going to be a really tough defense to stop if their pass rush can continue to keep going, especially once my boy Tredavious White gets back healthy. Yeah, I agree. But again, I'm flipping the coin. I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of looking at the Rams. I think a big thing that kind of um, that really kind of hindered them and exposed them is like it seemed like every time that they dropped back to pass, it was Cooper Cup and it was nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like you had a guy in Allen Robinson who in the offseason, he made he was some highlight plays. Like he the highlight plays that I saw in training camp was the reason I drafted him in fantasy. And he only had like two targets. Um and I understand people saying like he's not like the caliber of receiver that Odell is and things of that nature. And I, we get that, but he's still a very capable wide receiver. And he's a guy that I think and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he didn't get that many reps with Matthew Stafford in training camp because he's not one of those traditional wide receivers where he gets open or he gets a lot of separation. He makes a lot of his plays from contested catches 
and making like getting 50 50 balls and you have to as a quarterback you kind of have to trust the guy to throw it to him in this situation so i think that that could be something that could help right the rounds wrongs i think them losing in this fashion and like people overreacting and saying like the bills are going are definitely locked for the super bowl i think that's just an overreaction yeah but i think the rent like the big thing with the rams is because the reality was for the the way their offense worked last year was they had two and at times three really good wide receivers and right now it looked like they only targeted the one great wide receiver which is cooper cup and they left another good wide receiver without getting that many targets yeah and then i think something else worth noting is that man that offensive line looked terrible like, I'll give the Bills they credit because they did make a lot of good plays. But, I mean, it also looked like sometimes guys were just coming through untouched. And I'm sure that made it a lot harder for Matthew Stafford to where if he was like, I only got a couple seconds to throw anyway, let me throw to my sure thing. We'll see how things shake out this next week. But I think that also played a big role in it. But kind of talking about Super Bowl competitors, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, their offensive line is not as improved as I and a lot of people thought. You would think after signing Alex Kappa, uh, Lyle Collins, and Ted Karras that the offensive line will be better. No, not at all. (laughs) Joe Burrow ended up getting sacked seven times, ended up having a strip sack as well. I mean, it was just hard for my main man, Joey, to be back there. And that's not totally making an excuse for him because he did make mistakes on his own. But, I mean, good gosh, it was just crazy to see, especially in that first half, just how quickly the Steelers were getting back there. So, like I just said with the Rams and Bills, credit to the Steelers for being those crazy competitors that they are, especially guys like Cam Hayward and – uh, TJ Watt, who've been doing it forever, but also you thought that the Bengals' offensive line got better, but unfortunately, it does not look like it. Yeah, um, and then, and I'm mad because, uh, boy, I had Joe Burrow as my quarterback, he ended up coming through. He had like Wait. 300, some 338 yards, something like that. Yeah, but like, I'm talking about from fantasy. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Like, in the early beginning, he had me like negative three points or something like that. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think my second point is just we, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to talk about the New York Giants. As upset as I am at the fact that my, my team lost to him, I will say this. Saquon Barkley looked like the way he used to, he looked in his rookie year. He looked like he had fresh legs, looked like he was explosive. He looked like he wasn't second-guessing himself. And honestly, if that's the case, and if this week one performance is kind of like a precursor to the rest of his season, we're going to look up and Saquon Barkley might be one of the top three best running backs for this season. Um, I'm not going to fully say that Daniel Jones looked good. I think like he's... His only real highlight play was the touchdown he threw to Sterling Shepard, and the only reason Sterling Shepard got open was because Christian Fulton looking looked in the backfield and didn't focus on covering his receiver. Um, and he also threw a like a really bad interception where he honestly stared at Saquon Barkley down the whole route. Yeah. But I think if Saquon looks good, that defense was actually um 
a little bit better than I thought. Like they really held Derrick Henry in check. He only had like one big running, running on um, one big run for the whole game because I watched the whole game. Um, but like we've been talking about the Cowboys and the Eagles, and I still think the Eagles are going to win that division. But the Giants might be a team that can make some noise in that division, and uh, we can look up and it could be a a close race. It'll be interesting for sure. And then my number one, everybody calm down. It's week one, chill. Like, you were just saying with the Bills, I mean, you would think that the Bills really just won the Super Bowl with how much people are hyping them up. And don't get me wrong, they look great. But let's not also sit here and act like they didn't commit multiple turnovers that had they played a better and more balanced team, that would have been taken advantage of. Everybody may be sitting here trash talking, for example, Baker Mayfield and how he lost that game. But also, the first half, yeah, he looked like crap. But that second half, more specifically in the fourth quarter, he looked like he had a little something to do. The Falcons looked great for the first 45 minutes of that game. But then the Saints started to turn around and then they ended up losing. I say all that to say... I know everybody's just so caught up in the whirlwind of the first season, and this is overreaction seasons. Everybody's losing their mind, but it's week one. There are still 16 more games that have to be played. The playoffs are not about to start tomorrow. The Super Bowl is not next week. Just everybody chill out. I know we're not happy with how certain people perform. Lord knows I'm not, especially in fantasy football terms, but everybody just chill. The season ain't over yet. Yeah, I'm actually gonna like tag along to this same sentiment. Um, like I think about the, the Philadelphia Eagles, a mm-hmm. team that I have hopped on the bandwagon. But it's like the first half they look like a dominant team, and then you look up in the second half, and they're in a dog fight with the Lions, and like it's just a byproduct of like, hey, this is a football is a game of inches. It isn't a game that just because on paper you're a better team, it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to win. Right. Um, and yeah, like, case in point, like people hyping up the Bills, man, like I think they're a really great team. But the thing about it, in my opinion, in the AFC, is it's a lot of great teams. And the Bills might have had the most dominant, convincing victory. And it also came on opening night and it came against the defending Super Bowl champions in a, in a team that people think of repeat as Super Bowl champions. But it's like, it's week one. If teams get better as the season progresses. Injuries happen. Um, so, yeah, like, stop overhyping stuff and just keep watching football and see what happens. Exactly, because... Unfortunately, injuries are going to happen, too. We saw it week one. They're going to keep happening. That's going to knock a few teams down a peg. So, tranquilo, everybody. But, all right, let's get on a positive note. Let's talk the most impressive offensive and defensive players of the week. Ethan, who you got? Uh, We're starting with offense. I think, for me, the most impressive. It's a lot of dudes. It was a lot of people who balled out. I'm just going to name a couple. Um... Jonathan Taylor is one. AJ Brown's another. Um, Leonard Fournette, like I mentioned earlier, Saquon, even though if I ain't gonna say his name. It's a lot of guys, but I think maybe for me, if I were to just zone in on one, I'm gonna say AJ Brown. 
And the reason I say that is simply because he came to Philly and he was with a quarterback in Jalen Hurst that people didn't really have that much faith in. And at least for this first game, he made Jalen Hurst look good. And he did, and he balled out doing it. So if there's something that you can, like, kind of pencil in, and he just looked like a true number one wide receiver. Um, and if there's something that you can pencil in for the rest of the season, as long as he stays healthy, like, there's something to look forward to. I dig it. Um, offensively, you know I'm a Saquon fan, so it was great seeing Saquon have – I don't want to say a bounce-back performance, but definitely a statement-making one. Overall, had 194 yards for scrimmage, a touchdown, and then caught that two-point conversion that ended up winning the game for the Giants. I mean, there's just been so many questions about Saquon's ability to stay healthy, his ability to succeed in this league. So it's nice to see him not only have a good game, but do so against one of the better and more underrated defensive fronts in the league. So it was really nice to see Saquon have that type of performance. All right, defensive player. Who are you most impressed by? Uh, it's hard because the people I was impressed by, they lost their games. But I'm not going to lie, I was impressed by Michael Parsons. Uh, granted, I understood that they lost to the Bucks, But it's like, he he looked like the difference maker that people have labeled him to be. Especially like on that first sack mm-hmm. where he set up the outside rush and he spent the inside. It was, like, beautiful. So I'm going to say Michael. Yeah, Michael Bald. I mean, two of those, both of those sacks came on big third downs that pushed the uh, pushed the Bucks further out of scoring position. I believe one of the kicks that they missed came off of one of those sacks. So, yeah, no, that was a great performance for him. I'm going to go with Khalil Mack. Um, had a terrific debut with the Chargers, had three sacks and a forced fumble. I already kind of figured that the Raiders' depleted offensive line was going to get uh, Kadari Carr in some danger, but I wasn't expecting three sacks out of Khalil Mack, a perfect debut for his first game with the Bolts. But all right, now moving on to our most disappointing player. I'm the biggest Joe Burrow fan on the planet. I know it. I don't deny it, but I have to admit he played like crap. Yes, he did end up with over 300 yards, but let's not forget he had three picks before halftime with strip sack. And I understand seven sacks, that's going to get you a little bit rattled. You're going to start seeing some ghosts, but... Joe, I just you just expect better. And that the crazy thing is they still had a shot to win this game. Had it not been for a great play by Micah Fitzpatrick, Mika Fitzpatrick, I'm sorry, to block the what could have been the winning PAT, they could have won. But just the fact that Joe, you know I'm riding for you, you know I'm hyping you up. You cannot have this type of performance, especially week one when everybody is already drinking the Kool-Aid on you. So hopefully he'll step up, but I was very disappointed. Uh, who I was disappointed by. It's very easy for me to go with Randy Bullock because of the heartbreak that was associated with it. Right. But I'm actually going to go with Austin Eckler. And I know, I know that they've been in, they won big, and they're also in this like mindset of like preserving him for the playoffs. But he had 14 carries for 36 yards, and it's not like the Raiders have these like dominant front seven. So, and granted, I understand that Joe Burrow, uh, not Joe Burrow, but Justin Herbert was slinging the ball around the field and making, like, one of those throws he threw, 
it blew my mind when he fitted in a double coverage mm -hmm. for a TD. But like I thought that you know you're playing the Raiders. Austin Eckler is one of the better running backs. I thought like for him to just get 36 yards is disappointing. That's fair. Low-key, I kind of got beef with Justin Herbert because I started Mike Williams on one of my teams, and he only caught, like, two passes. I really expect him to get targeted more, especially after Keenan Allen got hurt, but it is what it is. All right, last piece before we move on. Rookie of the Week. Who you got? Rookie of the Week. Huh. I'm trying to remember what rookie's ball now. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, you want me to get mine first? Yeah. All right, I'm going to show some love to Chi-Town. More specifically, I think it was a fifth-round pick, defense alignment, Dominique Robinson. Ended the game with seven total tackles, a sack and a half. I mean, if you look at the performance of the Bears, I mean, their defense really helped win them that game. Got a lot of stops against not only Trey Lance, who I know is going to catch the brunt of it, but Debo Samuel didn't get much going. That offensive line had very little opportunities to make big plays, and Dominique Robinson was a big part of that. And especially with him being a later-round pick, I think that this was a great performance by him and I'm looking forward to see what he and the rest of this Bears defense is going to be able to do especially because I'm not going to lie I have very low expectations for that whole team coming into this season so we'll see how they can carry it over I'm trying to think of like I, I'll say this there were more defensive rookies who did things more than offensive rookies yeah and that's the hard part they don't acknowledge defensive rookies they really don't. Unless they do something ridiculous. Jaquan Brisker, I know, had a terrific game. Safety for the Bears. Huh. Michael Carter. I mean, not Mike Carter. Uh, Garrett Wilson has some solid catches against Baltimore. Tyler Linderbaum has some good blocks. Oh, I got it. Ev you can slide some love to my LSU boy, K. York, who hit the 58-yard field goal to get the Browns to win over the Panthers. There you go. Boom. Yeah. It's always a beautiful day when LSU Tigers ball out. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some contract extensions because there were quite a few over the past week. Starting off in the Bayou, the New Orleans Saints re-signed center Eric McCoy to a five-year, $63.75 million deal. Bills pay their tight end Dawson Knox handsomely with a four-year, $53.6 million contract extension, which will make him one of the top five highest-paid players at his position. A little overpaid to me, but that's neither here nor there. Darren Waller, one of the better tight ends in the league, was signed a three-year contract extension with the Raiders worth 51 mil. And Quentin Nelson, the best interior lineman in the league, was given a – what was the deal? Is going to sign a t deal where he's going to average $20 million per year, including 60 mil guaranteed from the Colts. Needless to say, they know how to pay their top players. But let's go ahead – Move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And let's start off with Jim Harbaugh. As we all know, he did coach the San Francisco 49ers about a decade ago, helped take them to the Super Bowl where they were defeated by my Baltimore Ravens. And now he's currently the head coach at Michigan. 
this season, this past offseason, he sent out a couple of feelers, including to the Minnesota Vikings, about returning to head coaching in the NFL, but decided to return to Minnesota. When asked about exploring NFL actions, he said this, one of the things that has really been kind of driving me is, you know, we were in San Francisco, we got that close to the Super Bowl. That's always been a thing. There's unfinished business there. But hey, winning the national championship, I could really be happy with that too. So that's so that's the goal. That's the one we're chasing. I don't apologize for taking a look. And the one that doesn't get printed is I apologize. I don't apologize for one to be in Michigan. Seems to cut off that last part. But that's where I'm happy as I can be. But he can be happy all he wants in Michigan. But the ceiling can only go so high. Believable or buffoonery, Jim Harbaugh's return to the NFL is inevitable. I think this. I think that's believable. Um, for one... I think the the reality in college football is, excuse me, is that Jim Harbaugh is his life. I'm trying to think what's the best way to put it. His ceiling is only so high. Yeah. Like, especially in Michigan, because, like, the highlight of being a Michigan head coach is beating Ohio State. And he's done it, but it's also. It's, with the SEC being as dominant as it is, I don't see any way for Michigan to ever win a college football championship. But I can see him going back to the NFL. And depending on what team he goes to, like, me personally, if he were to go back to that Vikings team, I could see that Vikings team under his leadership and with some move, roster moves potentially being in the Super Bowl at some point because they have a lot of great pieces. Um, so I think it's believable. Yeah, I think it's believable as well. And I'll be honest with you, last year's squad that made it to the college football playoff, I thought that was the best chance Jim Harbaugh had of winning a national championship. And because they couldn't do that, I have a hard time believing that they're going to change the course and make it back anytime soon. And I mean, like he said, He's chasing that ring. That feeling about losing that Super Bowl is still in him. And honestly, a national championship will be great. It's historic. But I don't think there's really anything in the football landscape that can touch a Super Bowl. So I think that if he's given the opportunity to go win one, I think that's what he's going to go after. But talking about going after a Super Bowl, Colin Coward talked about the most disrespected player in the league where he said, we can argue who the best player in the league is. But the most disrespected is Russell Wilson. Believable or buffoonery, my brother-in-law, Russell Wilson, is the most disrespected player in the NFL. Honestly, I would say it's a close tie between him and Lamar. But I think I'd still say believable for Russ. Uh, I'm going to say buffoonery. I, I do. I do put uh, Lamar in that category. But I only reason I think Russ gets disrespected is just because of his personality. That too. Because yeah. like, when you think about on the field stuff, he doesn't he, get, he gained some um, some flack this past season because of how he performed when he came back from a hand injury. Like everything, that, the only bad stuff that's ever been said about Russ comes from um from him being, like, people say he's corny or, like, um, what's the word? Like, he's buddy-buddy with GM, kind of like one of those type of guys that 
he doesn't really feel like his personality don't feel authentic yeah but that's not my I will say Lamar Jackson and the reason being is because ever since this man is coming to the NFL when he first came to the NFL everyone questioned him saying he shouldn't be a quarterback what did he do he won the MVP he after he wins the MVP Yes, he had a down season because he got hurt. People still are questioning him and saying, what did he do? And I mean, like even this upcoming season, he's been in these contract negotiations. And me and you have talked about it off here. But he, the fact that the Cleveland Browns were willing to give Deshaun Watson a $230 million guaranteed contract and reset the market and he hadn't played football in a year, even that's disrespectful to Lamar Jackson. Because when Deshaun Watson wasn't playing to dispute his contract, Lamar Jackson was winning games and taking his team to the playoffs and being one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. So, yeah, I got to go with Lamar. I will give the nod to Russ. Because, and I, I say Lamar is like barely a notch below but i think that lately with all these contract talks and you see the money now people are like well lamar is a generational talent lamar is this lamar is that but a couple of months ago nobody was saying this stuff but when it comes to money the nickels and dimes of it you see kyler russ matthew stafford all these other guys get paid now people want to give lamar his due but once the games are being played it's not that same love. Whereas with Russell Wilson, I think that we forget that he is a Super Bowl champion, that he has consistently led the Seahawks to the playoffs. And as you mentioned, last year was the first year that he ever really suffered a serious injury. And I understand him wanting to come back and be out there with his teammates, but unfortunately he kind of rushed himself back and didn't play to his standard. But I mean, still, a bad Russell Wilson is better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the league. But I think we just kind of forget that and we always try to say, oh, it was the defense, oh, it was the run game. Well, when all those guys were gone, when Marshawn Lynch retired, when the Legion of Boom broke up, who was still there leading that team to the playoffs every year? That's all I'm saying. So I think he is a bit disrespected. But you mentioned Lamar, and a lot of people do feel a way about his deal. Reports came out on Friday that he was offered a $290 million deal with $133 million fully guaranteed. That's a good chunk of change, especially considering that's more than what Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson got. But then Lamar came out to the media and said, no, he actually had turned down 180 to 190 million fully guaranteed, which I ain't gonna lie, as a Ravens fan, kind of pissed me off. But he's still turning it down because he wants a fully guaranteed contract, which not a lot of people think is going to be the standard in the NFL, more specifically, Richard Sherman. He tweeted this out a couple days ago. I hate the Lamar Jackson situation. He has outplayed his contract and deserves the new money. There's a fully guaranteed precedent out there, and he is simply looking to capitalize on that. But the NFL, unlike the NBA, will come together to end that now. Shaking my head. I hope he waits until after training camp to sign the tag next season. Make the team sit in uncertainty as long as possible, then take your time getting ready to play. The only power play he has, and he should use it. So, in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, the NFL will phase out quarterbacks getting fully guaranteed contracts unbelievable um i think understandably knowing that the quarterback position is the most important quarter position in the um nfl i think that 
the NFL's interest has always been to have the best product in the terms of protecting the NFL. And I think when you get situations like, and I'm going to bring it up again, when you get situations like a Deshaun Watson, he hadn't played in a, in a year, then the Cleveland Browns signed him to a fully guaranteed contract. And directly after, like basically uh, before they signed him and like traded for him, we get all this news about his dealings with massage therapists. Like those are things that the NFL takes note of. And whether they announce it publicly or it's like backdoor politics, like I think there's something to where it's like we're going to shut down these fully guaranteed contracts because now you have a quarterback that's fully guaranteed $230 million. A guy who at the who is a face who could could have potentially been one of the new faces of the NFL and he has this huge um lawsuit and scandal attached to his name. And we know once the, once you kinda of tarnish the NFL shield, you're the martyr and everyone else behind you is gonna suffer for it. And I think that because of the Deshaun Watson scenario, people after this is gonna suffer for it. Yeah, and kind of touching on that, I'm not even going to look at it from like the personal standpoint, but from a professional standpoint. As soon as it was announced how much money the Browns gave to Deshaun Watson, owners were pissed. Not because, and I'm not even going to say it was all because of like his characteristic and stuff like that, because they knew that if they had a star quarterback, they were going to have to give them a lot of money similar to what Deshaun got. But what you've noticed in the bigger extensions that we've seen since then in Kyler and Russ neither of those cats got fully guaranteed contracts and you can sit here and argue yes i think Kyler got what 200 and his deal can go up to 230 and a half mil and russ can go up to like 250 or 260 mil but those deals are not fully guaranteed because teams don't even want to set that precedent of oh you got a good quarterback you have to give them a fully guaranteed contract and so i think that when you look at deshaun watson the reason why that money was given was because the browns got desperate and they wanted a new quarterback which from a business standpoint you get and you understand but i think owners are trying to make sure that other quarterbacks don't look at that and think that's what life is going to be like because we've seen it hasn't been like that and I hate it for Lamar because he does deserve a contract. He does deserve his money. But I don't want to give any quarterback fully guaranteed money. There is no way in hell, I don't care who it is, just because there are too many mitigating circumstances that could happen. Whether you can have off-the-field concerns, you could suffer a big injury, never get us back to the level of play that you're supposed to be, whatever. It's a lot that goes into giving somebody a guaranteed deal. And I can totally understand teams not doing it, and they haven't been doing it. So... Yeah, I find that believable. But all right, one more piece before we make our week two NFL predictions. We talked a lot about the Bills and Rams game, but I think that there is one thing that nobody can forget, and that is that Jalen Ramsey was made barbecue chicken of, burnt toast, whatever you want to call it. He looked bad. In fact, uh, this past Thursday's game was the sixth game where he allowed a deep touchdown, including the playoffs. Prior to that, Ramsey had gone a previous 65 games without allowing a single one. When 
thrown in his direction. Quarterbacks, aka Josh Allen, had a hundred and fifty-eight point three passer rating, aka a perfect rating, which allowed six targets on I mean six catches on seven targets, a hundred and twenty-four yards, and two touchdowns. There are very few trash talkers who are more confident in themselves than Jalen Ramsey. But this past Thursday's game looked really bad. Believable or buffoonery, is Jalen Ramsey headed towards a big decline in play? I'm going to say buffoonery. And again, the reason I'm saying buffoonery is because it's week one. Um, And he also, honestly, all of those passes went to Stephon Diggs. And we both know that Stephon Diggs is a top five wide receiver. Um, I think it might have just been a case of like, some of it might have been Super Bowl hangover. And one of the things that we have heard historically from top cornerbacks is, at times, it can get boring for them because they don't get that much action. And Josh Allen was a guy that wasn't afraid to throw at Jalen Ramsey. He did it multiple times. And maybe it just caught Jalen Ramsey off guard. But I think that after this game, I think we're going to see Jalen Ramsey lock back in and play up to the form that he's been playing in for his his whole career, honestly. I'm not going to say a big decline, but I think a decline is incoming. Because I agree with you on most fronts about, like, week one, chill out, the season just getting started. But it is true. These past few games, he has been getting burnt. In the Super Bowl, T. Higgins and Jamar got him. We often forget that what was almost, quote-unquote, Tom Brady's last ever touchdown was a deep ball to Mike Evans on Jalen Ramsey. The playoff game before that, the 49ers were giving him fits. Just looking at what we've seen from the last slate of games from Jalen Ramsey, they are plays that we're not used to him seeing. Those deep touchdowns, he has really struggled covering guys deep downfield. So I think that that's going to be something that teams are going to exploit. Maybe short intermediate passes, they may not give them too much flack. But on those deep balls, I expect teams to try it. And I think that they're going to get it more times than not. Not saying I think that Jalen Ramsey is going to fall off a cliff and not be a top five corner. But I think we're going to see a lot more plays made on Ramsey than we had previously. But all right, let's go ahead play week two game picks. Starting off with Thursday Night Football. I still need to get Amazon Prime. Or at least prime video for this. Los Angeles Chargers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. This is tough, but I'm gonna give the I'm gonna go Chiefs. Yeah, I'm going. Uh, right, it's hard. It's hard. You going Chargers? Yeah. I can see it going either way, so I respect that. New York Giants versus the Carolina Panthers. This was another tough one because I feel like they're kind of equally matched. But I'm gonna give the nod to the Giants because I saw how much the Panthers defense struggled to stop the run against the Browns, and I think that the Giants are going to try to use that same formula. So I'm going to go Giants. Yeah, I'm going to go Giants. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the New England Patriots. There's questions about if Mac Jones is going to play or not. He suffered some back spasms. But, I mean, regardless of if he plays or not, their offense didn't look great. And I trust what Pittsburgh has on offense more than what the Patriots have. So I'm going Steelers. Yeah, I'm going Steelers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. I think it's going to be a good game, but I'm still going Bucks. I'm going Saints. Okay. I respect it. Cleveland Browns versus the New York Jets. 
Jacoby Brissett did not look great, but I think that he can still do enough to beat the Jets. I got Browns. Yeah, I got Browns. Baltimore Ravens versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Ravens. Bro, why do they keep making these hard games? Week two is week two is harder than week one for sure. But uh, I'm, I'm going Baltimore. I, I'm not I'm not drinking the Kool Aid yet. I don't trust it. I don't trust what they're doing on the Bales, uh, the Dolphins' offense. I'm not in love with it yet. I'm not basing this off the Dolphins' offense. I'm basing this off, of, and I understand like this is a new year. But y'all played the Dolphins last year, and that defense gave y'all fits. They did. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. If the play calling is not better, Greg Roman got to go. But I respect it. I can see he's going either way. So, you got Dolphins? Yeah. Okay. Totally fair. All right. Detroit Lions taking on the Washington Commanders. I got Detroit. I do, too. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts. This was another one that was hard for me. But I think I'm going to go Jags, question mark. Just... Yeah, I'll go Jags. I think I'm going to join you on that, too. Los Angeles Rams versus the Atlanta Falcons. The Rams better win this game. Yeah, I got Rams. San Francisco 49ers versus the Seattle Seahawks. This is a little tough because we have not seen the Seahawks yet, but either way, I think the 49ers are going to bounce back and get the win. Yeah, I got 49ers. Denver Broncos versus the Houston Texans. I got Broncos. Broncos. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Arizona Cardinals. I got Raiders. I think that that duo of Max Crosby and Chandler Jones are going to get a lot more pressure than they were able to this past week and wreak some havoc. And also, who's going to stop Devontae Adams? So I got definitely got Raiders. I have Raiders too. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Dallas Cowboys. The Cincinnati Bengals better win this game. Yeah, I got the Bengals. Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears. I know the Bears are feeling themselves. That's cute. But just like Mr. Rogers said to their fans last year, I own you. And I think he owns them again on Sunday night. Yeah, I got Green Bay. All right, we got a two-for-one special Monday night football, starting with your Tennessee Titans versus the Buffalo Bills. I got Bills, unfortunately. I'm shooting my shot. I got Titans. Okay. It was last it was last year. We were we were down and out. And we had a game against Buffalo on Monday night. We won. And that's how we started our runs of the playoffs. So I'm I'm going back to the Titans. Actually I think it was the Rams game where y'all defense went crazy. No, no it wasn't last season. It was the season before last. I'm yes. Sorry. Okay. Got you, got you, got you. All right, so and then finally, this game I think is gonna be a banger. Two of the best young wide receivers in the league, but I think my boy takes the edge. Minnesota Vikings versus the Philadelphia Eagles. This is tough. I'm gonna let you go first. Ooh. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be such a good game. I get Eagles because I don't trust Coach Cousins. You know what? I respect it, but I don't trust Jalen Hurts. I don't. And if I gotta pick between Jay Jettas and AJ Brown. I gotta go AJ. I mean, not AJ. Oh my gosh. I'm gotta go Jay Jettas. So I got Vikings, but it's gonna be a hell of a game. Probably the best one of the weekend. But all right, let's go ahead and talk the offensive, defensive, 
and rookie we are watching this week. So starting off offensively, I got Matthew Stafford. I know I kind of talked about my man Joe Burrow bad, but I got to talk bad about Matthew Stafford too. He had three picks. He was sacked seven times, like you mentioned earlier, only was targeting Cooper Cup. You got to get more diversified in your offense. You have to have a bounce back game. And going up against the Falcons, this should do that for him. Uh, offensively, I, I'm going to highlight the Bengals defense. I mean, offensive line. Yeah. Please. Thank like, good God. Because this is my thing. I understand that TJ Watt was all world. He's an all world player. But you're going to be going up against another all world pass rusher in Michael Parsons. And granted, I don't think that the overall Cowboys defense is as talented as the Steelers. But. When you got one guy that can rake shot by himself, that can create a lot of good matchups for other people. Yeah. So, y'all got to protect Joe Cool. Please. That's all I ask. Because I do want to see. <laughs> I want to see Trayvon Diggs versus Jamar Chase. <laughs> right, we all, all know what's going to happen. But That's barbecue chicken. Barbecue chicken all day long. All right. Defensively, I'm watching Darius Slay. I love me some Darius Slay. I'm of the belief that he is the top 10 cornerback in this league however he's kind of had his struggle with these young guns and most notably Sunday night game between the Seahawks and Eagles DK Metcalf was giving him the blues and I think Jay Jettis can do the same thing to him but Darius Slay got to show me something because the Packers made the mistake of not having Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson all game hopefully the Eagles don't make that same mistake by not having their best corner on who I believe is a top three wide out uh, who I'm looking at, I'm looking at, um, we talked about it, the combo of Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. Granted, I understand that the Cardinals, they ain't, they're not going to be able to stop their connection to Derek Carr and to Devontae Adams. But I think if you give Kyler Murray time to throw and you let him just run around, that's the most dangerous Kyler Murray. And that's a calamari that could beat you easily. So you got to put some pressure on him and you got to contain him from getting outside the pocket. And who who are the individuals that do those things? The defensive ends. And you have two great ones, so they got to step up. True that. All right. And then my rookie I'm watching is Aiden Hutchinson. I don't know how many of y'all watch the Jags-Commanders game, but Trayvon Walker had a really, really good game against that Commanders front. And one could argue he's not as good of an edge rusher as Aiden Hutchinson is. He had kind of a quiet game against the Eagles, but I think that considering the success that young D linemen have had against the Commanders in the early part of this season, Aiden Hutchinson could make some big plays. I'm running it back this week. I'm I'm looking at Jordan Davis. I think um, with the Vikings having Dalvin Cook in a dominant run game, like I think he can make a huge impact in slowing him down. And he can also have an opportunity to get to Kirk Cousins and get a stack or two. I can see it. All right, and last but not least, what team are you calling out this week, Ethan? Uh, the Tennessee Titans. So. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not going to call out Baltimore. That's too easy. I'm going to call out the Green Bay Packers. I know offensively it was ugly. A lot of the defensive game for them this past week was ugly too. But you know what? You still have something that the Bears don't, and that's Aaron freaking Rodgers. 
you guys have dominated the Bears since pretty much since he's taken over as starting quarterback. I understand y'all may not be feeling too great right now. The Bears got a little confidence, got a little swagger to them. But remember, you're the Packers. This should not necessarily be a good game. So that's what I'm calling out. But all right, let's go ahead, move gears. Let's talk some NBA action, starting off with the Philadelphia 76ers making a pretty good move, signing power forward Montrez Harrell to a two-year deal. He reunites with former head coach Doc Rivers, who he won sixth man of the year with in the 2019 season. So, Ethan, how do you like this signing for Philly? I think it's a good signing for him simply because, like, now it adds some bench depth. It adds another guy. Granted, Montrez isn't going to start, but when you bring in that bench unit, you're bringing in a guy, like who stated, is a former six-man of the year. He's high energy, high motor. Um, he could be a fringe starter, and it's just the reality of like, hey, if Joel B does get hurt at any point this season, you can just bring, you can bring, excuse me, you can bring in a guy that he won't dominate the game in the same fashion as Joel B. But he could be a really serviceable player in a starting role in a pitch. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is a really good move for them. Um, just because, I mean, you look at this squad, we know that they have a solid starting lineup, but bench depth was kind of a question. They signed P.J. Tucker, which was solid. But I think that by getting a guy like Montrez Harrell, who I think you and I would both agree would not have been a free agent this long had he not been going through some legal troubles, I think it's a terrific deal and pretty much a bargain for a team that's really trying to contend in this upcoming playoff race. But all right, we talk, We did this a few weeks ago with Madden. Now it's 2K turn. What we're going to do is we are going to fix – five of the worst NBA 2K ratings. Uh, do you want to give your five first or do you want me to go? You can go because I'm looking at them as we speak. Alright, bet. So, number five for me, Kyrie Irving ranked an 89. I'd move him up to a 92. I know that there are some personal reasons why people got beef with Kyrie Irving. That's understandable. However, once Kyrie steps court on the steps onto the court, he is a magician. Very few people can do the things that Kyrie does, which is why he's considered such a talented player, albeit an enigmatic figure. But it's a video game. It's 2K. You're not focused on the outside stuff. And him as a player is better than an 89. Um, for me, honestly, the first one that I see is, wow. It's a lot of bad ones, honestly. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm looking at this list. Where is he? Who you looking for? Bro, why? So, Steph Curry isn't in the top 10 overall? He's a 96 or 97. He's up there. Okay, then I see him. I see him. <laughs> at first, I was like, this was, that was throwing me off. Okay. Um, honestly, though, the thing for me is why is Ka- Kawhi number eight in the top ten? He didn't play last season. Cause he's Kawhi Leonard, duh. Which is and it's like that's, that doesn't qualify for me. Like we don't know what he's gonna look like coming back from his injury, and you just making him a ninety-five, no, a ninety-four. I would put him at at least uh, 89 and have him work his way back up to the 90s. Yeah. 
that's a good i feel you on that all right my number four i i feel like i kind of sound like a nets fan but i'm not but ben simmons as an 83 I understand he's not a prolific shooter. He's never going to be that. But his defensive prowess does deserve some accolades. No, he did not play last year. But an 83 feels kind of disrespectful. I boost him up to at least an 85. Probably an 86 is more suitable. All right. My number two. No, my number four. Like you stated, Kyrie Irving is an 89. I would have him. And granted, I understand this isn't that big of a difference but I would have him at least as a, a minimum of 90 Yeah. because when he's on the court he is one of the like top he he has like top 10 talent it just when he's not playing he just doesn't play yeah that's fair alright number 3 James Harden is an 89 maybe I'm a hater maybe I'm not but I don't think he should be an 89 Especially because he's mostly known for being an offensive threat. I'm pretty sure that's his uh, build in 2K. But, I mean, let's not deny that he has taken some steps back through through within his offensive game over the course of the past couple of years. We all know he's not that good of a defender. And so, an 89 to me is a bit rich. I would bring him down to an 87 at least. Um, My number three... Why is Rudy Gobert 88? Oh, we'll get to that. I think Kat answered that question earlier today. <laughs> like, this man, like, he has no offensive game outside of catching the ball and dunking his earth lobs. Granted, his defensive game is immaculate to an extent. But, like, Rudy Gobert should not be an 88. It basically should be an 85. Fair enough. All right, number two. You know what? I'm going to switch my one and two. So, number two, I got Russell Westbrook. Him as a 78 is so disrespectful. This man averaged, averaged 18, 7, and 7. I get it. He is not the most efficient player in the game. I understand that his shots, especially three-pointers, are not the prettiest things to see. However, when that man comes on the field, I mean on the court, he gives you 100% effort. In some kind of way, he's going to make an impact. He doesn't put up the numbers that he has put up for consensus years for nothing. So I'm boosting him up from a 78 to an 83. Uh, nah, my number two, I just saw Christoph Spazingas being an 85. Ain't no way, boy. I didn't know he was an 85. Oh, God. That's terrible. Okay, but number one, I think this probably is the most disrespectful one. Klay Thompson is an 83. I don't know what Klay Thompson, the 2K, is looking at. I understand, yes, last year was his first year back after a couple of knee injuries took a couple years off his career. I understand that, but Klay Thompson is still one of the most lethal offensive weapons in the NBA today, and the fact that he is not at least an 85 is a joke. I would boost him up to an 87, at least. Probably an 88, but I'll say 87 to be conservative. You know what? With that being said, I said that same sentiment because this this logic, if you make Clay an 83, why is Kawhi Leonard a 90? What did I say he was? A, a 90, a 94. So if you're dropping Clay down to an 83 because he's coming off of injuries, the same measurement has to be attributed to Kawhi Leonard. Right. So yeah, yeah. I, and I'm, this is the thing. 
I don't like play anymore. I used to. But then he started talking a little too crazy to players on my team after he won a championship. Daddy so I'm not a Kings fan anymore. But like, it is disrespectful. Very disrespectful. Was that your number one too, or you got somebody else? No, nah, that's my number one. Yeah. No, so uh, 2K, do better about your game. But continuing on... But ahead of the start of the season, there are still some teams that are still trying to get it right. One of those teams may, in fact, be the Miami Heat, a team that you and I both believe will be in the Sweet States for Donovan Mitchell. However, there's another position of need that NBA and Heat legend Tim Hardaway says they need to focus on. In a recent interview talking about point guard Kyle Lowry, he said this, the Heat need you at point guard. They need you to be on the court, playing 100% at a high level. You can do it if you stop falling on the floor so much. So, believable or buffoonery, Kyle Lowry has what it takes to be the point, the answer at point guard for Miami if he stays healthy. I think he does. Because the reality is we aren't looking, they aren't looking for Kyle Lowry to be a superstar. They aren't looking for Kyle Lowry to be the guy that he was for all those years in Toronto. Like, Kyle Lowry could be a guy that averages like 15 and 7, 15 and 6. And that could be very serviceable. The thing of it is, is he does get hurt often. Yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well. I mean, there's so many other good players on that squad. Jimmy Butler, of course, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Harrow. We just need Kyle Lowry to be available and help distribute the ball to them, and I think that they can go really, really far. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Gilbert Arenas is a guy who has never held his tongue, and he has not done so in the case of Gilbert in, in the case of Giannis Antetokounmpo. In a recent interview of the No Chill podcast, he had this to say about the two-time MVP. The media tries to shorten the gap. Oh, he's the best player in the league. Not even close. He doesn't understand basketball yet. He won a championship. Cool. He doesn't understand how to be great. His Euro brother, though, Goran Dragic, responded to Arenas' comments by saying this. Giannis is the MVP. Gilbert Arenas, has he ever won MVP? I don't think so. He can't talk about Giannis, championship, MVP, defensive player of the year. When they retire, they want to be relevant. It is what it is. Now, believable or buffoonery, Gilbert Arenas had a point when discussing the critiques of Giannis Antetokounmpo's career. You know, I like Gilbert Arenas. I was a fan of him as a player. I was a fan. I'm slightly a fan of him because I think he's hilarious as a retired NBA player that has a podcast. But there comes a time where individuals say dumb things. This is one of Gilbert Arena's times where he said dumb things. To say a man that has won two MVPs, defensive player of the year, and I'm not even going to say won a NBA championship. I'm going to say this. In the the elimination game, he put up 50 points. That's how he won his championship. When the rest of his teammates didn't play up to par, he put up 50 points. And you say this guy doesn't understand basketball? No. No. And and I'm going to be honest, like, I agree with going drugs. When Giannis retires, Giannis is going to be in the conversation as one of the, one of the all-time greats. Give it a bro. You, like, your career 
has like he was a really really great player, but he doesn't touch anything that Giannis's career has been, and Giannis is still playing right. and getting better. Yeah, no, I'm calling big buffoonery on that too. I think that especially <laughs> Gilbert does not want to compare resumes with Giannis. Like, no disrespect to Gilbert Reese, because as you mentioned, like, when he played, he was really good. Back in his days when he was in Washington, he was actually one of my favorite point, I mean, guards in the league. However, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but five years from now, or at least the next generation of fans, aren't going to know nothing about Gilbert Arenas. There's really very little that he has accomplished in terms of basketball-wise that people are going to remember him by. Giannis is resume like you said is going to keep him in the conversation for one of the greatest power forwards of all time or if you want to make it even broader one of the greatest european players of all time but he doesn't quote unquote understand basketball like just because how he plays isn't sexy or just because the way he plays isn't as refined as other people does not mean that it's not good because most importantly it's getting wins he's helping his team be better and taking his teams to heights that unfortunately Gilbert Arenas' teams never win at so yeah no like you said that that statement was kind of goofy but moving on to the Nets it was a whirlwind for the Brooklyn Nets and so much complications about is Kyrie leaving, is KD leaving, are they going to stay, is Steve Nash going, so many questions, but the push comes to shove, the result is the same as it was once the season ended, and that is the fact that Kyrie and Kevin Durant will both be back in Brooklyn, however, if one of the two were to leave, David Aldridge admitted that he was of the opinion of keeping Kyrie over Kevin Durant, saying that Kyrie Irving is harder to replace than Kevin Durant because nobody does what Kyrie does. Believable or buffoonery? Kevin Durant is more replaceable than Kyrie. That's buffoonery. You can find, especially in today's NBA, you can find a point guard that can score at the rate that Kyrie can. You can't find a guy that's seven foot and essentially is a shooting guard in the center's body and can pull up from anywhere on the court and is a good defender and has become a really good passer. Like, no offense to Kyrie. Like, his skill set and his talent are out of this world. But you can find a point guard that can put up the same level of production. They might not have the same flair and they might not have the same talent level, but they can put up the same level of production as Kyrie. A case in point, you can replace Kyrie with Damian Lillard. Yeah. You can't replace someone like Kevin Durant with another small forward. Or because no one has this at his size. No one can do the things that he does. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. But I, if you mean in the sense of the flair and just like some of the excitement from watching him, I get it. But in terms of like the player itself, nah, I don't. I would I would call buffoonery on that. But talking about buffoonery, th this is Carl Anthony Towns has been a guy who has said a lot of interesting things over the course of the offseason but this this one may may be up there um in a recent interview he discussed the team bringing in rudy gobert to which he made the following statement 
Rudy's one of the best defensive players we've ever had in the NBA. I'm one of the best offensive players and talents the NBA has ever seen. So, by Carl Anthony Towns' logic, by having one of the greatest defensive players and then one of the greatest offensive players on the same team, the Minnesota Timberwolves have a generational pair this season. Believable or buffoonery? I'm just going to start this off by saying buffoonery. Secondly, this is the same man that said, oh, we're in Minnesota now. And the team proceeded to get to get destroyed <laughs> by my team, the Memphis Grizzlies. That they did. Okay, so first off, I'm going to admit something. Half of his statement is actually true. And the half that I'm going to admit to you being true is Rudy Gobert being a generational talent as a defender. How many? He's won what? Three. Three defensive player years. He's been a dominant since the moment he stepped foot in the NBA. Seems like he's been one of the most dominant shot blockers. Yes, he has deficiencies where he's not a guy that you're going to look at. And you can switch him onto guards and cover guards and things of that nature. But when you put it under the vacuum of having somebody protect the rim, he is one of the generational talents as a rim defender. And I'm not gonna lie. And I don't and I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I don't like Rudy Gobert, but I can respect the fact that he is a generational talent as a shot blocker and a rim protector. Now, to Car Anthony Towns in that most blasphemy statement that he made of him being one of the best offensive talents the NBA has seen. No. You're not even the best offensive talent on your team. And your team needs to realize that. Like, yes, you're a really good player. Yes, you have a unique skill set. But it's like you're a big that really can't post up. You only shoot. Like, your main offensive skill set is shooting. Yes, you're a great shooter. But, like, you're a one-trick pony. That was a big reason why they moved you, probably brought in Rudy Gobert. It's because, like, you're a one-trick pony. On offense, you you can shoot, you can drive, you can post up. Um, you take, you make bad decisions when you take shots. Like, that was evident in the playoff loss. Like, no, bro, you're not a generational offensive talent. You have or you you have one skill that honestly I don't even think you're the best at that. Like I think Dirk was is still by far the best big big man shooter in the NBA, and you don't come close. And you're not even the best all around offensive talent on your team. That title goes to Anthony Edwards. So that's buffoonery. Yeah, I think you pretty much said everything that needs to be said. That's. Yeah, that's buffoonery. I don't think I can add anything to that. Now, last but certainly not least, we got to talk about his nickname while he was playing was the truth. But honestly, most of the his retirement has been spent lying. And that's my probably my least favorite player of all time, Paul Pierce, who talked about that 2018, which is, of course, my least favorite basketball team of all time, where he wanted to clarify some things about who the real big three was. Now, most people who look back on that championship squad believe it was Pierce, Garnett, and Allen who were the big three of that year. However, 
Paul Pierce said differently. He said me, Sam Castle, and Kevin Garnett were our real big three. Now, during that season, they averaged 40. They combined for 46 points per game. Uh, Garnett had 18.8. Paul Pierce had 19.6. And Sam Castle had 7.6. Maybe because we weren't in the locker room. We don't know nothing about nothing with regards to that Celtic squad. But believable or buffoonery. The world has gotten the 2008 Big Three wrong for all these years. No, it's buffoonery. This is another tale of a butt-hurt old man being mad because Ray Allen left him and went to Miami. Yeah. That's all that is. Pretty much. Like, I'm sorry. When you think of that squad, I don't think anybody, if you were to name three players from that squad, the first name you would not think of is Sam Castle. No disrespect to him. But no, like I would have more respect for him if he would have said Rondo over Sam Castle. Like, get out of here, Paul. You're, yeah, pretty much just being mad because Ray Allen went on and left. But thank you guys so much for listening. That is our show. Uh, before we close out, please be sure to check out the export.net, our Pete, the export.net for our exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Extra Report. All right, Ethan, Monday Night Football. Broncos versus Seahawks. Any bold predictions? I think we both know the Broncos are gonna win, or at least we believe the Broncos are gonna win. Any bold predictions on it? Uh, Corbin Sutton isn't going to get on. He's only going to have like fifty yards a season. I could believe that. I think if I had to pick a bold prediction. <laughs> I think Rush is going to have a fine game. But I think that the the Seahawks offense is going to score 24 points. I, I think that they can do it. They got the horses to do it. Pat Sartan is great, but I don't trust the rest of that secondary to make consistent stops per se. And Bradley Chubb is cool, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Same for Randy Gregory. So I don't know how much pressure they're going to generate. So I think... I still think Broncos win convincingly, but I, I think I think Seattle plays a lot better than people expect them to. But all right, uh anything you wanna say before we officially close this bad boy out? Uh go Tigers. Go Titans. Um Bro, I, yeah, I gotta say this. Give it a ring. Bro, the highlight of your career is the fact that you put up sixty points on Kobe Bryant. That is the only highlight of your career. Giannis has multiple MVPs, defensive player of the year, and a championship. Stop talking about people that are more accomplished than you. Why? It's what gets the clicks. You gotta say crazy stuff to get more attention. I've I've learned that. You wanna you wanna get people to watch your videos, listen to your podcast, watch your TV shows, you gotta say off the wall stuff. Um but yeah, feel you on that. Go Tigers go. Go Tigers as my LSU Tigers. Baltimore, I'm still mad about how the Dolphins game last year ended. Let's not have a repeat of that same shenanigans. And um, Jay Jett is for Offensive Player of the Year because my man's going to get 2,000 receiving yards this year if he stays healthy. But, again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.